You're listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Weekend Message Podcast. To learn more about our community, like what we believe and how you can take a next step, visit us online at hcfcornwall.ca or join us for one of our services this weekend, Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 11 here at 847 York Street. Good morning. Wow. If it gets any better in here, we're going to have to walk on water just to kind of prove it. It's just what an amazing time already in worship, just sensing God's presence and just appreciate you jumping in because when you give your heart to worship, it does just increase that opening into heaven and we sense God's presence. If you saw a blue ponchoed man with an umbrella greeting you out in the parking lot today, would you just give it up for Graham Wilson today who stood in the rain to make sure that we got greeted. Just call him Rain Man. <laughs> Water baptism, oh, that's so exciting. That's gonna be amazing. You also saw an advertisement for our refreshing night and uh, the church from Oshawa, Pastor Frank Satius, whose birthday is today and being celebrated. Um, he's heading to Brazil for a conference. Um, which talking to him this week, and he said, I just want to tell you what a brilliant idea to have our team come, and our, here at Harvest, we're not going to do anything, no worship, no audio, that we're just going to really just enjoy and take in a time of worship. We're going to believe for the spiritual gifts to be in operation. Just a great night to be in God's presence. He said, what a great idea. I wish I thought of it uh, for his church, and I said, Pastor Frank, I, I'm not that smart, but I am desperate and I'm desperate for a touch of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're desperate for a touch of the Holy Spirit, join us, those, uh, those seats are running out. We're just running one service on that evening. Uh, Pastor Charlie Sweet, I don't know if you're still online or not, but I know you popped in for a moment at least, and if you're still online, we love you so much at Harvest. And uh, yeah, he's just such a great friend of the house, and love him so much. Stepping on the battlefield, part two. Last week was so much fun, just kind of stirring your heart to believe that God's called you to be like David. I looked at the story of David and Goliath and the similarities that are in uh, David's battle and our spiritual battle, his Goliath, and we literally fight the devil and fallen angels, demons. And the scripture says this, put on God's complete set of armor that's provided for us. It's provided, you need to put it on so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Excuse me. And so what we saw was that Goliath came for 40 days and 40 nights. He took his stand, the Bible says, and began to pour his words of accusation and reproach over Israel. Those words caused them to be shaken up. They weren't sure what, what uh, f- solid foundation they were standing on. They were shaken, and they were fearful. But David made a decision to confront this giant with the intention of cutting off his head, to removing his authority, removing that voice that was paralyzing Israel. He stepped onto the battlefield. And last week was about just getting you encouraged to realize that you too can step onto the battlefield. We do not have to fear the enemy or fear the devil. The battle's already been won. Jesus was our David that went one-to-one, one-to-one with Satan and defeated him. And now we join in 
and enforce. We're the enforcers of the kingdom lines that are given to us. Next week, I'm really looking forward to uh, our installment of learning about your possessions in the covenant. You have possessions and how to possess your possessions. Many of us do not have what the Bible says we can have. There are reasons for that. Uh, and it's because we're not taking hold of, not going after what God has provided for us. So I'm really excited about next week. This week, as we understand where David's confidence came from, why was this little shepherd boy so confident to stand out on the battlefield? His brother said to him, you're just some kind of a arrogant, prideful young man trying to show up the army, and that wasn't David at all. David was confident because he knew his God and he knew the promises of his God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the faith that I sense in this room. Lord, I believe that there is a gift of faith here in the room today. And by that gift of faith, many things can take place. I pray sickness, Lord, will fall to the ground, literally. Lord, I pray today that there will be freedom in people's hearts. The freedom we sang about. We wouldn't sing about it, but we do the stuff today. The stuff that Jesus gave us to do. Lord, as we learn what it is to be stepping on to the battlefield. Today, in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So David asks this question. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And as I explained, it really has uh, nothing to do with the act of circumcision. Circumcision was the mark that a Jewish boy took into his body that that family was saying, as for me and my house, we're serving God. We're under the covenant. We believe in God's protection. We believe in God's promises. We believe in the salvation of our God. And so David was saying, I don't answer to voices that are outside the covenant. I don't respond to anything that's coming from outside the covenant. I am inside the covenant. And as we're going to see today, I am under, under, important word, the covenant that God has given us. Let's remember from Revelation chapter 12, the great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Lead astray. Take away from the presence of God. Move away from the covenant. Satan will do whatever he can possibly do to lead you away from being under the covenant to coming under his defilement, under his accusations, and under the words that he's speaking. And you have to discern, am I under that voice that's taking a stand against me, or am I under the voice that says that we are redeemed, the voice that says that you have been bought with a price, the voice that said that you are an overcomer, the voice that says you're a conqueror, the voice that says that you are healed, the voice that says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Which voice will you come under? And so David knew, I'm not going to be led astray. Important as that verse goes on, it says, they triumphed, speaking of Christ followers, in a day when the voice of Satan would be on the earth accusing, he's doing his work, God's allowing it for a season. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. We need to talk this morning about this phrase, the blood of the lamb. What does it mean? What does it mean to be under the blood of Jesus? It kind of sounds gruesome. 
but without context, talking about blood, coagulation, dripping down over top of me. And it can be a little misleading if we don't understand the context of what it means to uh, triumph by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and for me. He gave his life, and his life was symbolized by the blood leaving our bodies. The Bible says life is in the blood. And if we are, if, if, if we are bleeding to death, if blood leaves our body, our life is leaving our body. Jesus' life given for you, given for me. But very specifically, the sign of life is, is blood. Let me, let me just walk you through this so we can understand uh, what's happening here. The Bible tells us that we live in the new covenant or under the new covenant or under a new promise, which presupposes there was an old one, <laughs> the old covenant. There are two covenants, an Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament. Jesus said, the New Testament in my blood. What was he talking about? Hebrews chapter 8 says, but now Jesus, our high priest, I'll keep going. I, bet I was going to go off track there for a second, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Hebrews goes on to say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The penalty for sin is death. If we break God's law, God was very clear that the only way that a human being could pay for the broken law would be death. Well, every human being has broken the law. There has not been one human being who has ever kept the law except Jesus. And so Jesus stands apart and alone. And until Jesus came in the Old Testament, there had to be shedding of blood. And so there was a, God created a sacrificial system, the Mosaic law, and the sacrificial system, and there was provision in that old covenant, that, that, that promise of what was to come, that the priest, the representative of the people, would go into God's presence once a year. Say once a year. That's it. That's all. We get to go into God's presence every moment of our life because of what Jesus did. But the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, uh, the priest got to go in once a year. And he stood before God and the people, and he would take blood, the blood of a lamb, and he would put it on what was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a part of the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the, the law, the Ten Commandments on stone that Moses brought from the mountain. And they were laid in that Ark of the Covenant. And the priest would go in. And if a man was to stand in the presence of God with sin, he would be struck down. That priest went in with fear and trepidation as he took the blood of the lamb and he put it on the mercy seat, the top of the box. And there are two cherubim that, that formed the top of that gold, that gold box, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Jesus is our mercy seat. And so he would put the blood where Jesus would be in the future, where God the Father and the Holy Spirit are looking down through that Ark of the Covenant to the law. And the law says man deserves death. And the priest would come in and say, God, extend your mercy one more year. And he would put the blood for the nation on that, on that mercy seat. And God would see blood. He would see death, a sacrifice for sin. And God would uh, put off his judgment for another year. 
Now, each individual was responsible for their own sin, and so every time they broke the law, they would have to sacrifice animals. As you can see, this went on and on every day in, in hopes of a day for a better covenant, a new covenant, a covenant that would be everlasting, where Jesus himself came, and Jesus himself became our mercy seat, the place where God saw Jesus' blood, his eternal blood that was given for you and I. And so we live in the new covenant, the covenant that was always in the heart of God. But God allowed the old covenant to prove to man, you can't do this. You will never be able to pay the price for sin. Only Jesus could do that. And so Jesus became the lamb that shed his blood, innocent blood for you and I, sinless blood for you and I. So we're under that covenant, sealed in that promise or in that covenant called um, the, the, the new covenant. We can say it this way, that we are under, under his blood uh, because we have, we've been given authority and victory. We have overcome, the scripture said, we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and by our testimony. I want to look at those two things today. How do we overcome? How do we step into the battlefield understanding the power of the new covenant blood and understanding our testimony? Well, there's a great story in the Old Testament that's going to help us understand, I say it this way often, in the Old Testament concealed, in the New Testament revealed. And there's an event in the Old Testament called Passover. And Passover was a time when Israel was in, um, Israel was in Egypt under bondage of Pharaoh. It's symbolic of our, uh, our place under Satan and in this world. Uh, we are slaves to sin. The Bible says we can't do anything but sin uh, because of, of a heart that's away from God. And so they were in slavery and in bondage, but God pronounced judgment on Egypt through 10 plagues. The 10th plague was the plague where God killed the firstborn of every animal. He killed the firstborn of every person unless that judgment was stopped. Judgment stopped. Jesus stopped the judgment of God and took it on himself. And we see it so beautifully portrayed for us in this act of Passover that people indeed were deservant of the judgment of God, but God stayed his judgment and placed it on the lamb instead. Watch this. Uh, what would happen is that family was told, if uh, each family that wanted to be under the blood, say under the blood, that wanted to be under the blood, the protection of God's covenant, they would take a plant called hyssop, and it was just like a broom, a broom substance, and in the, in the blood from that lamb, they would dip it in. Let's read it in Exodus chapter 12. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, in the basin, and put some blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame. If you have a Catholic background, you know what that's about on the top and on the sides of the doorframe, the sign of the cross. Here it is, hundreds, thousands of years before, already portraying what was in the heart of God for you and for me. Put the blood on the top and on the sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over the doorway. His judgment will go past that house, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Why? Because they chose to be under 
the blood, under the blood. They understood this, this lamb was slain, was killed for us under old covenant. How much more? How much more when we understand the blood of Jesus over our lives because we say, Jesus, what you did on the cross, I want to take hold of it, and I want it a part of my life. The Bible says that Jesus died for the whole world, but not the whole world is under the blood. It's only the people that decide, yes, I will come under the promise of God and have his blood, the mark of the new covenant, on my life. I'm coming under this covenant. They triumphed, by, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. There are two things. I want you to understand how powerful it is. The eternal blood of Jesus is over our life. It's the sign of the covenant. It gives us the confidence to step onto the battlefield. But that's only half. The other half is our testimony. Say testimony. It's what you say. It's what you literally say about what God has done for you. It's what you say about that. And we need to say what the blood says about us. Watch this, another Old Testament example to help us understand this idea. You have come uh, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the high priest. Jesus himself, Hebrews says, went into the heavenly temple and said, for Roy and for Norm and for Linda and for Christina and for the whole world, he placed his blood on the mercy seat. So that when God looked at the law, he didn't see a human being guilty of sin. He saw uh, Jesus in our place if we choose to come under that blood. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now that's unusual. That's what, what is Hebrews talking about? That Jesus' blood speaks, it says something. And it says something better than Abel's blood. Well, we need to go back to the Old Testament for a moment and just understand the story of Cain and Abel. Two brothers. Cain was a, a, a farmer and Abel was a rancher. And uh, one offered a sacrifice to God that was pleasing and Cain uh, didn't follow the instructions of God and, and uh, God was angry at Cain and Cain got angry and took it out on his brother and he murdered him. Abel was murdered in his farm, in, in Cain's, he was a farmer, in his field. He murdered his own brother. And the scriptures say that his innocent blood that went into the ground began talking to God. Let's, let's just pick up this story. The Lord said to Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So innocent blood is talking to God. What is it saying? Now you are under, he says to Cain, now... Because of what his blood is saying, you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, when you go back to your work, when you try to work the ground again, you were a farmer. This is what you did on planet Earth in this field. And when you try to do it again, it will not produce fruit. It will not bring forth. The work of your hands is null and void because innocent blood went into the ground, began to cry out to God. And God said, when innocent blood goes into the ground, the fruit of the murderer, the fruit of the stealer, the fruit of the destroyer is finished. It's null and void. It no longer has any effect. 
Now watch how this works as again, Old Testament, there's the story, Abel's blood that spoke to God, but it says Jesus's blood on the cross spoke louder, more powerful, and it wasn't just one plot of one acre of a farmer's field, but Jesus's blood went into the ground of planet Earth, and it reversed the work of Satan. It reversed all of the work, and every time Satan tries anywhere on planet Earth, he tries to uh, bring forth fruit of destruction, fruit of sickness, fruit of whatever he's attacking with. Somewhere God is saying, where is there a covenant child? Where is my children that understand the power of the blood, that understand the covenant, that understand what it is to have a good testimony and speak out? No, your bl the blood of Jesus has canceled your work. Sickness, you have to go because Jesus's blood speaks louder. Uh, a poverty, You've got to go. You've got to go, destruction. You have got to go. Because I understand what Jesus' blood speaks. Who's with me this morning? All right. The blood of the Lamb, I hope just in this kind of abbreviated talk this morning, because we could just open this up for weeks and weeks of understanding this, but for the sake of you getting on the battlefield and beginning, is the power I am under the blood of Jesus. He sealed me. He marked me with his blood. And now I need to speak what his blood is speaking about my life, what it paid for, what it bought, and, and, uh, and cancel what Goliath is, is speaking over us. And let's, let's look at how we do this practically. What is Jesus' blood speaking over your life and mine? Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 tells us, I'm just going to look at a couple verses. We could look at 20, 30. I'm going to encourage you to begin, as you read the scriptures, the verses about the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, and how powerful, and what does it say about your life and about my life? In him, Jesus, we have redemption. We sang about it this morning, that word redemption. Through his blood, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. Jesus did it for you in accordance with how rich God's grace is that he lavished on us. Say lavished. That's more grace than you can understand than I can understand. Goliath wanted Israel to believe that they were victims, that they were prisoners, that his voice of defilement, his accusations, what he was speaking over their lives, they went from being warriors to being shaken about what they believed, and they began to listen, not to what the covenant said. They began to listen to what Goliath was saying. And they began to live in the invisible walls of Goliath's threats, the invisible walls of Goliath's lies, the invisible walls of what Satan himself was trying to keep that army small, weak, and really useless. And God wants us to know today that the enemy in the same way will speak over you and he will speak over me to keep us weak, keep us paralyzed, keep us from our destinies, because his voice creates invisible walls that we begin to live in, that we begin to think that we're nothing more than victims, we're nothing more than trapped, we're no, this isn't going to change, this isn't going, nothing's going to happen, this is the best that it gets. But the Bible says, right here, we're reading that his blood brings redemption. Say redemption. 
Redemption is the purchase price to purchase a slave out of slavery and bring them into freedom. That's what redemption means. Jesus's blood had value, eternal value, and it comes over your life and over my life. And Jesus said, you are not a victim. Satan doesn't own you. Goliath didn't own you. David knew that. That's why he could go out onto the battlefield. I am owned by Jesus. Jesus is my owner. He has taken my life, purchased my life with his blood. Now listen, the enemy is going to tell you differently. The enemy is going to speak to you uh, that, that pattern of behavior that keeps cycling in your life. He's going to say, I own you. See, look at your life. I own you. He's going to look at that addiction as you try to break that addiction. And you try, and he's going to say, you failed. Yeah, but look how much I, look how, how victorious I've been. Forget the victory. You failed. I own you. It's proof. Your failure is proof that I own you. I own your body. That's why you're sick. You're never going to be able to get healed. That sickness is never going to leave your body. I own you. And the voice of the enemy continuing to shout out, I own you. But our testimony needs to change. Like David, we get out on the battlefield. Lord, I thank you today that I am a covenant child. I, you made promise with me. I am under the blood today. The, the, the destroyer passes over my life today. And you begin to say, I'm not owned by addiction. Have I failed? Yes. But greater is he that is within me than he who in the world. I, you don't owe me, Satan, today. I am not under your covenant. I am not under your voice. I am living under the voice that speaks. I am owned by God. I am bought with a price. He will take care of me. He is my father. If he feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he feed me? And we begin to change our testimony. Well, redemption's even greater than that. <laughs> Redemption speaks to your destiny. He bought you with purpose. Here at Harvest, we want everyone to know God. We want you to get freedom from yesterday, learning how to step onto the battlefield. We want you to know that God has created you with purpose, and we want you to make a difference in people's lives because that's the purpose that he has for you. Today, I want you to know that I've been redeemed by the blood. doesn't mean that my life just goes back to the way it was with a little Jesus. Come on, somebody. It doesn't go back to the way it was with a little Jesus. What happens is when Jesus purchases you, when he redeems you because of the power of his blood, he gives you a new destiny, one brand new. It's not the old life fixed up. The Bible says, behold, I am a new creation. I am brand new. I have a new destiny, the one I never knew about, the one I was born with, the one God gave me, but the enemy tried to keep me small. Come on, somebody, you need to know that your destiny is great. There's greatness in you this morning, and he's calling out greatness in you. He's calling out largeness in you. You're not to be kept small. You're not to be kept paralyzed under the voice of the enemy. The blood of the lamb and what we say about what that blood has done for my life. Colossians 1.20. Not only that, <laughs> not only that, hey, point one was so good. That was good preaching, Pastor Roy. Point one was so good. Not only that, somebody's going to hear this today, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe people, 
and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that was poured down from the cross. Somebody here today, somebody online, you believe you're too broken to be fixed. Maybe there's been abuse in your life. Maybe a horribly failed marriage. Maybe the most horrible things and terrible things that you've witnessed in your life. And you look at your life and all you see is a bunch of broken pieces. And the enemy has told you that you'll never go back together again. You'll never amount to much. You'll never recover You'll never be what others are that seem to have it all together. And you know this morning, you don't have it all together. You're too aware of the broken pieces of your life. An old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. The king's horses, the king's men couldn't put them back together again. And you feel like that fragile egg that fell off in that nursery rhyme. That nursery rhyme is actually not, like it's not a happy deal. It's a smashed egg and you can't put it back together again. I'm here to tell you today that the scriptures declare that the broken pieces of your life are being put back together again. You need to change your testimony. You need to change your testimony. Stop talking about the brokenness of your life and begin talking about the new destiny that he has for you. That you feel like you don't have it all together and none of us have it all together, but he's working behind the scenes to put us all together. And again, not back together to something we think we should be. It's better than that. It's more awesome than that. It's according to his destiny. It's according to his plan. And I can promise you, if you begin to say, I'm under the blood, I'm not listening to the lies that I'm broken and I'm useless and I'll never be like so-and-so or I'll never be like so-and-so at work. I'll never have that job. Stop saying that. You're agreeing with a giant that's trying to keep you small. Begin to step out onto the battlefield and say, Jesus, today, thank you that I'm under the blood. Thank you today that even though I feel broken, I'm no longer broken. Your blood has put me back together. Your blood is mending. Somebody here has a broken family that God wants to put back together. Come on, get your family under the blood. Just pray and say, Lord, I place my family under the covenant today. I place my family, my children, I place them, Lord, and I believe you're putting families back together right now. Somebody's body needs to be put back together again. Sickness has broken your body, and God wants to bring healing to you today. And we didn't even get to healing. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I belong to him. Thank you, Father, that you take such good care of me. Thank you, Father, that you want the best, more than I can ask, more than I can dream. And that's who I am today. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, you will overcome. Next week, I'll share with you what happens when the enemy seems to rear his head and you begin to be on the battlefield and you begin to do what I'm talking about today, but it gets worse. Oh, that's good news. That just means the devil's on the run. He's given it the last ditch effort before he has to give up. And I'm going to share that with you next week. You'll want to hear how, what, what to do when the enemy raises his head in what appears to be a retaliatory, uh, a re, a retaliatory uh, attack. He's just lying to you. You're under the blood. You have a testimony. Ephesians 2.13. Look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once uh, distant and far from God, you've been brought delightfully close to him. You've been brought delightfully close to him. You've been brought 
delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You might feel far away from God today. You might be someone today who has been coming to harvest, but you're not sensing God close to you and the enemy's been speaking over your life. Yeah, of course not. God's not gonna let you close. You can't get close to God. That's for those other people that have it all together. That's not for you. You can't get close to God. And you try and you try and you try and to no avail. It's almost like you're sweating spiritually to get close to God. Do you see it this morning in the scripture? I've been brought close to God. Jesus picked me up where I was. And by his blood, he carried me into the very presence, into the very throne room. In the very presence of God, he brought me there. I didn't walk there. I, I couldn't get there. I couldn't get to where God was, but Jesus picked me up. I said, I want to get there. I want to be close to God. And the Bible says, by his blood, you were brought there. Say brought there. Come on, somebody this week, as you're doing your time with the Lord, and maybe he's felt so distant, you say, devil, you liar. I'm not distant from God. I've been brought into his presence. Today, I'm going to sense his presence. Today, I'm going to know his presence and his closeness and his intimacy. By the blood of the Lamb, by their testimony. Today you might be here and you've never known that you could be close to God. I want to tell you that today is your day to be close to God. The Bible says we are separated. We are a long way. I read the scripture. You were once alienated because of our sin. But today the good news is that Jesus took your place when he went to Calvary. There doesn't have to be your death or my death. Are my working or your working? Because it'll avail nothing. But Jesus can bring you into his presence today. And the way that happens is simply acknowledge that you need him. That you want his sacrifice of blood to come on your life and wash your sins away. That's what the blood was for. It was, it was in place of. In place of. Jesus died in place of you. And today, if you'd like to receive that gift of salvation, I'm going to count down from five. Right now in this room, someone's going to receive the gift of salvation. I'll count down five, four, three, two, and when I get to one, simply raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to pray that prayer today that invites Jesus into my life and begins, begins this beautiful intimacy that I can have with him. And if that's you, it's five, and in four, three, two, and one. Is there anyone in the room today that would just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else today? Come on, Harvest, give them a hand today. Give them a hand today. Wow. Would everyone stand with me this morning? If you lifted your hand today, that's step number one. Step two right now is to make it personal. I say, Jesus, here I, here I come. <laughs> He's waiting for you. Let's just, in a simple prayer together, we'll pray it with you today just to give you confidence as you pray this prayer. Pray it with us. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. I want to be brought to you today. I receive your sacrifice for my sin. Wash me clean. Forgive me. I start my life with you. Come into my life. Amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, we believe that you're born again, that Jesus is living in your life. Someone will... Uh, 
If they saw your hand today, someone will just, they just want to give you in a green t-shirt. They'll want to give you a gift. This is our way of saying we're with you and we're for you. Hey, we're going out on the battlefield this week by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Let's just sing this before we're dismissed. Have an awesome week. We love you.